I'm Melody. I'm Bonnie. And I'm Maddie. And we are the, the Spooky, Spooky Sisters. Sisters. Thank you for joining us, Spooky family. Tonight, uh, we're going somewhere new, somewhere crazy, somewhere cool. Uh, well, maybe. I haven't been there. Have you been there? Never. No. <laughs> Never. <laughs> but I've heard uh, about it. <laughs> I've seen movies about it. <laughs> we are going to Jersey City, New Jersey. New Jersey. New Jersey. Yes. I uh, think that's how they talk. Snooky, big hair, Long Island medium. What else? Uh, what else? What else? What uh, else? I don't know, Teresa Caputo. I don't know, Teresa Caputo. You know what? I'm getting and something. With my nails. I'm getting something, your father. Wow. Yeah. Did you have a father? Oh my gosh. I had my old gynecologist. <laughs> my old gynecologist. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I'm getting breakfast cereal. Did you ever eat bre- I did eat breakfast cereal. <laughs> so anyway, I actually really like her. Um, what's going on? What's new? It's new sisters. No. Mm, There's a new ter- dilly dallies up the road. Yeah. No, it's not the new dilly dallies because they still have the one up by Harmon's. Yeah. Or did they take that and move over? I thought they moved it over, but I didn't see the proof. To where? Where the old Ben Franklin was. Oh, yeah. Panda, curse. Panda That's Express a cursed place. I, know. I think they might be gone. We're talking about, you know, the old lot, right? If you believe in cursed places, in that is a cursed lot. Any business that goes in there goes out and of there. media play, Gordman's, anything that is yep, in that yep, spot, yep, that's gone. terrible. Because what's there now, like Gordman's, but it's gone. It's, yeah, it's, it's it just closed. Mm-hmm. I tell you, Pier One just closed too. And you that's know, was, right there too. I was talking to a friend at work the other day that was like, you know how they say curses aren't real unless you believe in them. But that can't be said about like um, vexes. Is that what they're they're called? Yeah. Where they put like tiny little bones and pieces of your hair in a bag and hide it in your life. Like, like I've, seen supernatural. Supernatural. <laughs> I've seen Supernatural. I've seen Supernatural twice. So like it doesn't matter if you believe in that or not. Like it happens, right? That'd be funny. They'll have your little bag of bones and they're all, let's shake it up a bit. They're all walking around with it in their pocket. Dude, your enemy comes up. like, hey, can I borrow a bone? It's like, why? <laughs> How far can you throw? How far can you throw? <laughs> uh, nothing new with me. Been working, you know, at the kids of school. Same old bears a horse. Our, our little puppy is... About eight months now. That's him in the background. He just loves when the sisters come over. He loves yeah. it. And he also really likes old people. Just, oh. He has an affinity for the elderly. That he's a sweet heart. pup. Yeah. He's a handsome fella, but so he is a horse. When you get home, how does your dog react when you get home? He, he wags his tail and he's like, oh, I'm so happy that you're here. And then he's fine. He doesn't jump up on you? No. I walk outside. For like five minutes. Oh, and, and Kiki is so in, excited. My dog is screaming, <laughs> literally screaming, oh like, <laughs> like that high pitch. No, so her and I scream together. And I'm like, I was gone for five minutes. Does she have short term memory loss? I don't know, but then she comes up and she's Definitely like, short. I'm holding her and she's just sitting there, like licking any part of my body that she can get. Like if she's she licking really my hand, my arm, you. and she's just like, <laughs> and I'm like, Five minutes. She's needy. No, my dog's like, you're still alive. Good. Okay, bye. <laughs> but you guys come over and he was like, oh my, oh, I can't, I can't handle it. I'm going to cry. Yeah, I know he's all barking. I'm going to jump. I'm going to do all the naughty things. We're trying real hard to train him. But yeah, he's, he's pretty big. I have a friend who uh, likes to feed animals a lot. And I've got two kitties, Ozzy and Copper. And they were normal. Would you say of a normal weight maintained fairly well? And then this uh, friend of ours needed a place to stay and he is renting out a room and started to feed my kitties every day, their own little pile of treats like a routine. And now they're spoiled little brats that need the treats or else they'll go crazy. Like their little cocaine fix. And Melody didn't believe me when I showed her copper the other week when you weren't here. I was like, let's go down and see Copper. He, Copper has kitty diabetes. And she's like, no, it can't be that bad. And then she walked in and said, profanities. 
Yeah, that was one big cat. Like, where <laughs> are his little like, teeny tiny sausage legs? Like, he was like, look and away. His tail. It's like <laughs> now he's all dull like something to be ashamed of. It's so his tail is thin. so small in comparison to his belly. And, okay, so it's just like, have you guys seen Shrek Forever After? Yeah, it's when everything, his whole there life changes because he makes a deal with Rumpelstiltskin. So Puss in Boots. He meets oh, I was up like, with Puss excuse you. <laughs> he meets up with Puss in Boots and Have that is um, Fiona's cat now. So when Shrek walks in and sees Puss, he's like, hey, Puss, you got so fat. Because Puss is like fat now. And he's all... <laughs> And he like makes up a word after he says it. Cause you can see Puss just staring at Shrek like, don't you dare. <laughs> That's so funny. But I feel for the cat, you know? So yeah, he, I definitely had to give him some love after that. I was like, here, have a treat. <laughs> yeah. Ozzy, his, he has a belly as well, but he's like his proportioned, his body's proportioned. And he's like Mufasa. He's. Yeah, this cat's like a cartoon or something. Yeah, I feel so it's bad. So he did. He just he, he just goes like this with his like paws around his belly. He's just like what? <laughs> so big. Aww. Yeah. So we're hoping he doesn't do the same to bear. He's he's gonna start rolling any day. <laughs> rolling, rolling, rolling. <laughs> oh, funny. Okay, so tonight uh, we're just gonna get right into it. I've got the media story tonight. So the objective is. We like to go from city to city for any new listeners. We like to go from city to city and uh, discuss urban legends, myths, any haunted scenarios of that city. Everywhere is haunted because everywhere people have died. Civilizations. Dead. There's hauntings everywhere. Dead things. Mikey. Mikey. So we were brought up by hashtag Isabel. Hashtag Isabel. Hashtag Isabel. Out of girls. And uh, we we were told a lot of spooky. We were told a lot of spookies growing up, and we love it. So we hope you love it too. So this week, like we said, we're going to Jersey City, New Jersey. However, mine is in a city called Westerfield, which is really close to that. So we're kind of clumping it in. We're trying to hit major cities and then go into like littler ones. However, that can change because there's a really cool, really really cool, creepy story called. Diot loves pass about mm. you know nine hikers in Russia. So we might not. We might even go continental. It, it can change. But the idea is that we like to tell stories based on geography. So Jersey City, New Jersey, is the second most populous city in the U.S. state of New Jersey after Newark. Newark, it, Newark, Newark. Okay. It is the seat of Hudson County as well as the county's largest city. Jersey City is in northeastern New Jersey. Its eastern waterfront faces the Hudson River, where it meets Upper New York Bay. Liberty State Park has panoramic views of the Manhattan skyline, the Statue of Liberty, and Ellis Island, the former immigrant gateway. The park's Liberty Science Center features interactive exhibits, live animals, and an IMAX dome theater, bars, and ethnic eateries line downtown's Grove Street, blah, blah, blah. Um, I read up on it. It seems like they've got like the 18th best schools in the nation. It is a good place to live, but it's usually a good place to live for um young professionals or young single adults it's because the boardwalk is there right the boardwalk i don't know um yeah i I don't know i don't know i just said like is it safe (laughs) it is safe um but the expenses are like 89 percent higher than the national average utility prices are 11 percent higher than the national average and like it's it's just an expensive place to stay but the median family average is $159,000 $159,000 a year, 159K. That's so a lot it's, of money. It's manageable, obviously, if people are living there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So people say it's a good place to live if you don't mind commuting, you know, to the city for work. That's where all the good jobs are. So mm-hmm. it can get a little pricey, but so can every city. So that's Jersey City. So since I have the meteor story and I really think it's going to creep you girls out, I can go second or third. So I should probably speak into my mic. Which sister would like to go first? Sister number two, sister number one. All right, we got sister number one. Melody, take it away. All righty. The Jersey Devil. Anybody heard of it? X-Files? No. I didn't hear it on X-Files. I don't remember it, but I've seen X-Files. Yeah, it's X-Files, the New Jersey Devil. The New Jersey... 
yeah so it's it could be folklore you know it could be real here's a few things about it though for you the new jersey pinelands is home to miles of pine trees and sandy roads but is also home to new jersey's most infamous resident the jersey devil designated in 1938 as the country's only state demon the jersey devil is described as a kangaroo-like creature with the face of a horse and the head of a dog bat-like wings horns and a tail more than 250 years this mysterious creature is said to prowl through the marshes of southern new jersey and emerge periodically to rampage through the towns and cities wow the most widely held belief about the origin of the Jersey Devil is that Mrs. Leeds, a resident of Estelleville, was distraught when she learned she was expecting for the 13th time. In, in disgust, she cried out, let it be the devil. Wait, wait, did he, did she, did you say expecting for the 13th time? Yes. 13th time. And she time. wanted it to be the devil. Let it be the devil. The story continues that the child arrived and it was a baby devil. The creature then gave a screeching, unfolded its wings and flew out the window and into the adjacent swamp. Countless stories have been circulated describing the devil's escapades, raiding chicken coops and farms, Mm -hmm. destroying crops and killing animals. Mm -hmm. His presence has has been seen and felt by many in the last 50 different towns when he emerges in at least 50 different towns. Sorry, does he stay in New Jersey? I think he does. But yeah. this just said he's been seen and felt by many in at least 50 different towns. So that's weird. So maybe he doesn't stay in New Jersey. 50 different towns in New yeah. Jersey, though. Yeah, when he emerges from his natural lair in the Pinelands Ooh. and wanders throughout southern New Jersey. Love a good So lair. the whole southern New Jersey. Sometimes intriguing and sometimes terrorizing the residents. Um, Posses were constantly formed to apprehend the devil, but to no avail. And at one point was much as $100,000 was offered for the capture of the Jersey devil, dead or alive. Several reports of the Jersey devil's death also proved to be inconclusive. And even the scientific community could not explain its existence. Belief in the Jersey Devil is quite real and based on records of concrete occurrences. Reliable people, including police, government officials, businessmen, and many others who, whose integrity is beyond question, have witnessed the Devil's activities to this day. People traveling down the Garden State Parkway or the Atlantic City Expressway, Expressway reported sighting of something or tell stories of strange occurrences. Many continue to believe that the legendary being is still around, disturbing the region, and will continue to do so for generations to come. Hmm. Few questions. Few. Well, one, we've got little guy pulled up. <laughs> oh yeah, that that's him. So go over the body again. The face of a kangaroo um, the with the head of a, of a dog. No, the face of a horse. Okay, there's the horse. A kangaroo-like creature with the face of a horse. Yeah. Kangaroo and, this- and wings. The head of a dog. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, the ears look like flappy, kind of like a puppy. That like wings, horns, and a tail. Okay, so look at this one. Dog is it? What the? Okay, so that's a horse now. And the hoofs. Yeah, that's a full horse head. I don't remember that on X Files. Antlers. Files either. We'll post this to our Instagram, uh, Spooky Sisters. Yes. Uh-huh. Ghost emoji. That's our Instagram. We will post a picture of this. Look, that's like super. Nitty. Yeah, I that one. It had antlers. It said it had horns. So is that their rendition of horns? Let's see. They went a little too overboard. Oh, look, that. this one's right at the swamp. Oh, that's creepy. Look, he's like, all, ew, looks he's like, like, he's like a dinosaur like thing. He's all, ew. Nessie, oh, you? we need to call Nessie. him the doctor. We need to call Lucas and get his take on the new joysy devil yeah so uh, the 13th child <laughs> yeah the 13th let it be the devil <laughs> says every mom that's pregnant with the 13th child right 
Yeah, we'll we'll go ahead and post that. That's crazy. So how did it say that it picks its prey? It doesn't. It just wanders through southern New Jersey. Like the chupa. What is oh, it? Yeah, eat? like the chupacabra. What does it eat? Does it eat it said animals? that it, no, it said it was animals. animals. Oh, sorry. So then it's not really what I want to know is an X Files. It raids chicken coops and farms, destroying crops and killing animals. Mm-hmm. In X Files, they really played up the fact that it could like shape shift or something like that. And that a man was look at this one. Uh it looks like a T-Rex. Yeah. That is a weird thing. The Clap your hands, buddy. Child. Oh, weird. The 13th child, Legend of the Jersey Devil. So there's a movie. With Cliff Robertson, blah, 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 blah. People we don't know. Leslie Ann Down, Christopher Atkins. Yeah, and there's those uh, who believe on it, like, spirit. If those who don't, will. Yeah, it's like folklore or, you know. The 13th child. Oh, well, that's interesting. Mm. Jersey Devil, send us your quest. And, yeah. But yeah, we'll put a photo up there today all right system number two take it away all right so i've got one based in new jersey called the atco ghost um it's just a lot of different inserts that i've seen from people they've been how do you spell atco 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 the atco ghost Mm -hmm. so just a lot of different stories from people but it all every story that i was reading from um like the firsthand experiences they're all super similar okay so here it is there is a dead end street in atco that has been haunted for years at the end of the road there is some type of factory from which large trucks often leave around dusk one night there was a little kid bouncing a ball all over the street as one of the trucks was leaving the plant the ball took a bad bounce and the boy ran after it right into the path of the oncoming truck rumors started to circulate that the boy's ghost comes back to play in the same street that he was killed on Growing up in Atco, so this is just from, I'm reading something um, that somebody had just put out there. So it's in their version. Anyway, it says, I spent many nights drinking beer with my friends at the end of the street and waiting for the ghost. We never seemed to find him wherever, or, sorry, whenever we gathered there. The only time I had ever, I ever had a different experience there was when I actually followed the instructions on how to see the ghost. The night was rather misty and it was raining a little bit. My friend and I drove to the end of the road where the factory is located and turned around. We drove up to the second streetlight and stopped the car. I turned off the ignition and we sat in silence for a while. Nothing was happening, so we decided to leave. The moment I touched the keys, a sudden wind wind swirled the mist on the road and the shadowy shape appeared at the side of the road. It wasn't a shape, really but a break in the low-lying fog that resembled the outline of a small child. Oh, that's creepy. We decided to get out. Um, We decided to get out of there. As I was racing down the street, I could see the fog swirling faster and faster. We came to the stop sign, which I ignored, and I turned left onto the main street. Um, So anyway, the small child lives at the end of that street. He, that's his street. So every time somebody comes over there, um, I was reading other stories too, They'd go over there, they'd park their car and let it just sit there. Kind of like flow? Yeah, the boy would not show up if their car was on. Once they got in the spot where the truck was, they had to turn off their lights, turn off their ignition, and then that's when you could see the boy coming. And he wouldn't do anything to harm the people. He would just make his appearance saying like, this is my street, like, you know, I was killed here. Do not bother me. But he doesn't hurt anybody. He doesn't, he does, I mean, they scare easily because it's a ghost, you know, but anyway, that's the Atco Street. A little that's kind of cool. There. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot like Flo. Like he, he, like you have to do a couple things to see Flo. You right. have to um, yeah. flip the lights a few times or something like that. Yeah. So with that one, it's like you have to stop, turn the car off and he wants to, like the guy said, when, as soon as he heard, as soon as the keys turned off and they jingled a little bit, that's when he saw the appearance of the boy or the apparition. It's so, I think, I think a lot about spirits and I've spoken of this before and why they stick around the places that they stick around. And it's like, 
if I'm this kid and I pass away, it must have been so traumatic that you just linger. But I kept thinking about you said um, the way that he saw the apparition of the boy was the fog was already there and then it morphed Mm -hmm. into the shape of the boy. Mm -hmm. And I think that would almost be creepier than it just appearing out of nowhere. Like, can you imagine if you're in the Ogden Cemetery waiting for flow and then there's all this fog and then all of a sudden the fog like it's the shape, the shape of a girl and yeah i kind of like watching you know, it the, before your eyes the, um show charmed how they appear and disappear so in, i in haven't smoke. seen charmed mel oh i've only seen some of it maybe they don't <laughs> appear in smoke but there are people that do <laughs> well my thing is <laughs> but there are people that do <laughs> like why do they hang out in their spot. I don't know. It makes me like, sad. Maybe to protect. I mean, did Bill Pullman not get there to have them cross over? Oh, he tried so hard. Casper? <laughs> Casper Mel. There, there's this new show on Netflix about life after death. Mm-hmm. About you were there's like that. an episode about reincarnation, one about past lives. So it's about life after death, not near death experiences. Near death experiences. Oh. Um actually dying and coming back and all these different things and children that say stuff about, Oh, I used to be Marty Johnson and I was a actor in Hollywood and it ends up to, you know, all that information is true. That this little kid saying and stuff like an explanation for the no, reason. It was. If only one Entities. of them. No, Bonnie, what were you saying? I was saying, like, if it's a traumatic one, why are they, they're still around, but if it's not super traumatic, like, like, okay, so the ones that Melody says you're wanted, if you are wanted, if you know that you are on your deathbed and it's your time to go and you're, you're at peace with it, do those ones come back and bother people or are those ones, the ones that are satisfied and move on? Right. The ones that are not ready are the ones that are taken too soon and they come back and they let people know. It was not my time. I haven't learned my lesson. But until no, just, it's told or done, it's then they get to leave. I listened to a podcast that says if just one story is true, if just one person's telling the truth, then they all have to be true. But like, we don't know the rules of the afterlife. And I think that's what drives us mad as humans that are here right now in the present. We don't know the rules. So maybe the rules are if they are murdered or if it was a traumatic experience, they do linger here because they have unfinished business until they reach a certain feeling or emotion. Then they can move on to peace. Because think about it. There are not a bunch of really teed off people at peace, right? In the peaceful place, I imagine. Right. But the thing is, right, right. We don't know the rules, the rules of the story. I guess we turned into a different dialect just now. Uh, We don't know the rules of the story. And at the end of the day, is it just that, a story? Are we all just part of a story? Just characters? All it takes is one person believing it to make it a true story. It's it's just like pictures and a book. book. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I've got another one. It is called Murdered Maid Haunts Centenary College. So Centenary College was founded by the Methodist Episcopal Church in 1867 as a preparatory school and women's college. It underwent several incarnations before becoming a four-year co-educational institution in 1988. In 1886, when the school was still known as Centenary Collegiate. In 1886? 1886, yep. Um, an 18-year-old kitchen maid named Tilly Smith was... That's a cute name, Tilly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, she was found murdered in a field behind a school. The school, sorry. Apparently, on the day of her death, Tilly, who boarded at the school while she was working in the kitchen, had asked janitor James Titus if he would let her into the building after 10 p.m. curfew as she had plans to stay out late at a local theater por- performance. But instead of letting her in upon her return... He attempted to rape her and strangled her to death in the process. He was later convicted of the crime and served 17 years in prison. Just 17. Tilly's valiant struggle to protect her virtue immediately became the talk of the town and locals contributed money to provide her with the proper burial. Initially, she had been buried in a pauper's grave. A marble monument was erected in the Union Cemetery with this simple 
Um, quote, she died in defense of her honor. Uh-huh. Tilly's reach still looms large. She, um, with frequent ghost sightings and even play, a play about her commissioned by the Centenary Theater in 2002. Today, on Campus Grill, where students can get a snack or a Starbucks coffee, is called Tilly's. She, so right here, it says that Tilly wants out. So I'm thinking that she's done being the ghost there. She's tired of it. <laughs> Tilly's ghost is often sighted walking through the tall oak trees of the college grounds. Other sightings have been reported in various parts of the school. Some people have seen her floating on the ceiling at the South Hall. Weird. Tilly's favorite place is the theater. Students have seen her in a back room behind the stage. On one occasion, a repairman came to fix a light in the sound room and was reaching for a tool when all of a sudden the light fixture started swinging and a voice came from it saying, get me out of here. (laughs) Tilly wants out. (laughs) The repairman never came back. Free Tilly. Um, So somebody also heard there was laughter in the theater. I was a student at Centenary College back in 2002. So this wasn't too long ago before joining the Air Force. At the time I was majoring in theater and would often work many late nights in the theater. One night we were working on a late show and we needed to borrow a small cross from the church, which was inside the main building. After the show, I grabbed the cross and turned off the lights to the theater backstage and started to work my way up up to the steps to the entrance um, of the church. My director gave me the key, so I opened it up and the lights of the church were off. Most, um, almost as quickly as I worked my way out of the theater, I ran down between the pews and placed the cross back on the table I had taken it from. Then all of a sudden, the lights of the church, they turned on. I looked around and called out to my friend to see if she had come up the stairs, but there were no responses. So I worked my way up between the pews and headed toward the door. Just as I reached for the door, I heard the laughter of a woman. It started, okay, this is in a church. <laughs> you never think anything happens in a church. Well, so anyway, got murdered there. She hears the laughter of a woman. It started off very soft, but became louder and louder. <laughs> I worked, I worked my way about halfway down the aisle and looked up to the pews upstairs to see if anyone was up there, but there wasn't anyone. The laughter just got louder and louder. I worked my way to the door again. As I reached for it, the light shut off and the laughter stopped. Not wanting anyone to get the better of me, I walked up the stairs to the doors, which led me to the upstairs pews. It was locked. So I walked around to the other door, which was locked as well. By this point, I was starting to get a little freaked out. So I went downstairs to find that the whole cast and crew were all gone and the assistant stage manager had already left. This ruled out the prank because it was about midnight when this happened and the short or and short of my director and stage manager who left right after the performance, no one left on campus would know I was in there. Or if so, how did they get in without me knowing it? Mm-hmm. That is the end of Tilly. I have one thing to say about that story. Every time someone says pew, I hear pew, 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 pew. I don't know why. Okay, guys, now I'm going to get you, going to, going to get you. Boogeyman's going to get you with the story called the, I didn't mean to scare the watcher. Uh, First of all, have you guys heard of any, anything about this story? The watcher, any movies? Because they're wrong. (laughs) It's not, that's not the one that I'm going to tell. There is one called like the watcher in the woods. Remember growing up? Watcher in the Woods. Um, different yeah, there are different watchers titles. that have been on the Freeform and, and even Hallmark, like the Watcher. But this is not that. It might be a variant. I'm not sure. But this specifically is not that. This happened in 2014. Very recently. Um, and it's... Seven years. It's quite long, what I do. So, it, a little bit funny, this... <laughs> feeling inside. inside. <laughs> I'd rather not hide. You're not one of those who can who can easily hide. <laughs> okay, here we go. <laughs> McGregor. <laughs> All right. Called The Watcher. So here we go. The Watcher. A family bought their dream house, but according to the creepy letters they started to get. Literally? <laughs> just literally reading that headline. It's all okay. Wow. <laughs> Boo. It's all sick. Okay, let me restart, Colby. Okay, I'm just going to start here. One night, 
In June 2014, Derek Broaddus had just finished an evening of painting at his new home in Westfield, New Jersey, when he went outside to check the mail. Derek and his wife, Maria, had closed on the six-bedroom house at 657 Boulevard three days earlier and were doing some renovations before they moved in, so there wasn't much in the mail except a few bills and a white, card-shaped envelope. It was addressed in thick, clunky handwriting to the new owner, and the typed note inside began warmly. Dearest new neighbor at 657 Boulevard, allow me to welcome you to the neighborhood. For the Broadduses, buying 657 Boulevard had fulfilled a dream. Maria was raised in Westfield, and the house was a few blocks from her childhood home. Derek grew up working class in Maine, then moved his way up the ladder at an then moved his way up the ladder at an insurance company in Manhattan to become a senior vice president with a salary large enough to afford the $1.3 million house. The Broadduses had bought 657 Boulevard just after Derek celebrated his 40th birthday, and their three kids were already debating which of the house's fireplaces Santa Claus would use. <laughs> it's always the first thing you think of when you see a fireplace. Oh. Can Santa use this one? <laughs> but as Derek kept reading the letter from his new neighbor, it took a turn. How did you end up here? Uh, end up here, the writer asked. Did 657 Boulevard call to you with its force within? The letter went on. 657 Boulevard has been the subject of my family for decades now. And as it approaches its 110th birthday, I have been put in charge of watching and waiting for its second coming. My grandfather watched the house in the 1920s and my father watched in the 1960s. It is now my time. Do you know the history of the house? Do you know what lies within the walls of 657 Boulevard? Why are you here? I will find out. The author's reconnaissance had apparently already begun. The letter identified the Broaddus' Honda minivan as well as the workers renovating the home. I see that you have already flooded 657 Boulevard with contractors so that you can destroy the house as it was supposed to be. The person wrote, tisk, tisk, tisk. Bad move. You don't want to make 657 Boulevard unhappy. Earlier in the week, Derek and Maria had gone to the house and chatted with their new neighbors while their children, who were five, eight, and 10 years old, ran around to the backyard with several kids from the neighborhood. The letter, the letter writer seemed to have noticed. You have children. I've seen them. So far, I think there are three that I've counted. The anonymous correspondent wrote before asking if there were more on the way. Do you need to fill the house with the young blood I requested? Better for me, I know. Was your old house too small for the growing family? Or was it greed to bring me your children? Once I know their names, I will call to them and draw them to me. The envelope had no return address. Who am I? The person wrote. There are hundreds and hundreds of cars that drive past 657 Boulevard each day. Maybe I am in one. Look out at any of the many windows in 657 Boulevard and at all the people who stroll by each day. Maybe I am one. The letter concluded with a suggestion that this message would not be the last. Welcome, my friends, welcome. Let the party begin. <laughs> Followed by a signature typed in a cursive font, The Watcher. Their party or games. Mm -hmm. So creepy. I'll bring the guacamole. Asking for the kids. And yeah, that's the scary, that's always a scary part is when people bring that's kids into it. Extremely oh, creepy yeah. letter. The end. Just kidding. Okay. It was after 10 p.m. and Derek Broaddus was alone. He raced around the house, turning off the lights so no one can see inside, then called the Westfield Police Department. An officer came to the house, read the letter, and said, What the f is this? He asked Derek if he had enemies and, and had recommended moving a piece of construction equipment from the back porch in case the watcher tried to toss it through the window. <sighs> Derek rushed back to his wife and kids who were living at their old home elsewhere in Westfield. That night, Derek and Maria wrote an email to John and Andrea Woods, the couple who had sold them 657 Boulevard, to ask if they had any idea who the watcher might be or why he or she had written, I asked the Woods to bring me young blood, and it looks like they listened. Whoa. Andrea Woods replied the next morning. This is messed up part. A few days before moving out, the Woodses had also received a letter from the watcher. The note had been odd, she said, and made similar mention of the Watcher's family observing the house over time. But Andrea said she and her husband had never received anything like that in their 23 years in the house and had thrown the letter away without much thought, i.e. we didn't, we really wanted to sell the house and didn't want to tell you. <laughs> that day, the Woodses went with Maria to the police station where Detective Leonard Lugo 
Luke, Luke told her not to tell anyone about the letters, including her new neighbors, most of whom she had never met and all of whom were now suspects. The Broadduses spent the coming weeks on high alert. Derek canceled a work trip, and whenever Maria took the kids to their new house, she would yell their names if they wandered into a corner of the yard. When Derek gave a tour of the renovation to a couple on the block, he froze when the wife said, it'll be nice to have some young blood in the neighborhood. The Broadduses' general contractor arrived one morning to find that a heavy sign he'd hammered into the front yard had been ripped out overnight. Two weeks later, the letter arrived. Maria stopped by the house to look for some paint samples and check the mail. She recognized the thick black lettering on a card-shaped envelope and called the police. Welcome again to your new home at 65 Boulevard, the watcher wrote. I know, I know. The workers have been busy and I have been watching you unload carfuls of your personal belongings. The dumpster is a nice touch. Have they found what is in the walls yet? In time, they will tell. This time, the watcher had addressed Derek and Maria directly, misspelling their names as Mr. and Mrs. Bradis. Had the watcher been close enough to hear one of the Bradis's contractors addressing them? The watcher boasted of having learned a lot about the family in the preceding weeks, especially about their children. The letter identified the Bradis's three kids by birth order and by their nicknames, the ones Maria had been yelling. I am pleased to know your names now and the name of the young blood you have brought to me, it said. You certainly say their names often. The letter asked about one child in particular, whom the the writer had seen using an easel inside an enclosed porch. Is she the artist in the family? The letter continued, 657 Boulevard is anxious for you to move in. It has been years and years since the young blood ruled the hallways of the house. Have you found all of the secrets it holds yet? Will the young blood play in the basement? Or are they too afraid to go down there alone? I would be very afraid if I were them. It is far away from the rest of the house. If you were upstairs, you would never hear them scream. Will they sleep in the attic or will you all sleep on the second floor? Who has the bedrooms facing the street? I'll know as soon as you move in. It will help me know who is in each bedroom. Then I can plan better. All of the windows and doors in 657 Boulevard allow me to watch you and track you as you move through the house. Who am I? I am the watcher, and I have been in control of 657 Boulevard for the better part of two decades now. The Woods family turned it over to you. It was their time to move on and kindly sold it when I asked them to. See, so they were in on it. I pass by many times a day. 657 Boulevard is my job, my life, my obsession. And now you are, now you are too, Broadus family. Welcome to the product of your greed. Greed is what brought the past three families to 657 Boulevard and now has brought you to me. Have a happy moving in day. You know I will be watching. Any questions? Wow, that's extremely creepy. Like, it's not over, but I'm just asking if you have questions. (laughs) So they have not moved in yet. Mm -mm. He is just anticipating the day they move in. Mm -hmm. So it gets crazier. Derek and Maria stopped bringing their kids to the house. They were, they were no longer sure when or if they would move in. Several weeks later, a third letter arrived. Where have you gone to? The watcher wrote. 657 Boulevard is missing you. Many Westfield residents compare their story to Mayberry, the ideal exciting for the Andy Griffith show. The place, the kind of place where a new neighbor might greet you with a welcoming note. Westfield is 45 minutes from New York and a bit too slow for singles, meaning the town's 30,000 residents are largely well-to-do families. This year, Bloomberg ranked Westfield 99th richest city in America, but only the 18th wealthiest in New Jersey. And in 2014, when the watcher struck, the website Neighborhood Scout named named it the country's 30th fastest growing town, safest town. Oh, safest town. The most pressing local issues of late, according to the residents, have been the temporary closure of Trader Joe's after a roof collapsed and the rampant scourge of unconstitutional policing by which they mean mean aggressive parking enforcement. Westfield is 86% white. One activity all locals recognize as treacherous is trying to buy a house. There's a lot of money and a lot of ego, one resident who requested anonymity anonymity before discussing Westfield real estate told me. I've seen bidding wars where friends lost $300,000. The Broadus' house was on on the boulevard, a wide tree-lined street with some of the more desirable homes in town. As the watcher noted, the boulevard used to be the street to live on. You made it if you lived on the boulevard. And we're going to post pictures on our Instagram. So is that like the ritzy... Is that what they're saying? That's what I'm guessing. If he's Uh talking about greed. That's what I'm thinking. He keeps bringing up greed. 
Built in 1905, 657 Boulevard was perhaps the grandest home on the block. And when the Woods was put on the market, they had received multiple offers above their asking price. That led the Broadduses to initially suspect suspect that the watcher might be someone upset over losing out on the house. That's a good idea. But the Woodses said one interested buyer had backed out after a bad medical diagnosis, while another had already found a different home. In an email to the Broadduses, Andrea Woods proposed another theory. Would the mention of the contractor trucks and your children suggest that it was someone in the neighborhood? The letters did indicate proximity. They had been processed in Kearney, the U.S. Postal Service Distribution Center in northern New Jersey. The first was postmarked June 4th before the sale was public. The Woodses had never put up a for sale sign and only a day after the contractors arrived. The renovations were mostly interior and people who live nearby say they didn't notice an unusual commotion, even from the Jack Camarine in the basement. When Derek and Marino walked Detective Lugo around the <laughs> Why is that funny? I don't know. But I laughed in my head as I said it, and then you laughed. And, okay. <laughs> they walked Detective Lugo around the house. They showed him that the easel on the porch was hidden from the street by vegetation, making it difficult to see unless someone was behind the house or right next door. A few days after the first letter, Maria and Derek went to the barbecue across the street, welcoming them and another and another new homeowner to the block. The Broadduses hadn't told anyone about the watcher, as the police had instructed, and found themselves scanning the party for clues while keeping tabs on their kids. God, that must be awful. Who ran guilelessly through a crowd that made up a bunch that made up much of the suspect pool. We kept screaming at them to stay close, Maria said. People must have thought we were crazy. At one point, Derek was chatting with John Schmidt, made up name, who lived two doors down when Schmidt told him about the Langfords, who lived between them. Peggy Langford was in her 90s, and several of her adult children, all in their 60s, lived with her. (laughs) Wow. The family was a bit odd. No say, Schmidt said, but harmless. He described one of the younger Langfords, Michael, who didn't work and had a beard like Ernest Hemingway as kind of a Boo Radley character. You guys know who that is, right? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Bonnie. She who doesn't read. (laughs) I don't. (laughs) I'm going to be honest. It is a reference to 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 Kill Kill a Mockingbird. I've heard the name. Okay. (laughs) Heard the name. Derek thought the case was solved. The Langford house was right next to the easel on the porch. The family had lived there since the 60s. The watcher's father, the letter said, had begun observing 65 Boulevard. Richard Langford, the family patriarch, had died 12 years earlier, and the current watcher claimed to have been on the job for the better part of two decades. When the Broadduses told Lugo about the family, he said he already knew. And a week after the first letter arrived, he brought Michael Langford to the police headquarters for an interview. Michael denied knowing anything about the letters, but the Broadduses said that Lugo told them that the narrative of what he said matched things mentioned in the letters. This isn't CSI Westfield, Lugo later told the Broadduses. When the wife is dead, it's the husband. But there wasn't much hard evidence. And after a few weeks, the police chief told the Broadduses that short of an admission, there wasn't much the department could do. This is someone who threatened my kids and the police are saying probably nothing's going to happen. Derek said, probably isn't good enough for me. After the second letter, Derek told the cops that if they didn't take care of the situation, they would have a different kind of case on their hands. This person attacked my family and where I'm from. If you do that, you get your A.B., Derek told me. Frustrated, the Broadduses began their own investigation. Derek became especially obsessed. He set up webcams in 657 Boulevard and spent nights crouched in the dark, watching to see if anyone was watching the house at close range. Maria thought I was crazy. He told me recently at a coffee shop in Manhattan where he covered a table with documents relating to the case, including copies of the letters, which he and his wife had shared with only a few friends and family members. He showed me a man... Oh, sorry. He showed me a map displaying when each of the 657 neighbors had moved in. The Langfords were the only ones there since the 60s, which with overlays marking possible sight lines for the easel and a circle for approximate range of earshot to estimate who might have heard Maria yelling their kids' names. Only a few homes fit both criteria. The Broadduses also turned to several experts. They employed a private investigator who staked out the neighborhood and ran background checks on the Langfords but didn't find anything noteworthy. Derek reached out to a former FBI agent who served as the inspiration for Clarice Starling in The Science of the Lambs. They were on a high school board of trustees together. And they also hired Robert Leanhan, another former FBI agent, to conduct a threat assessment. 
Uh, Lane Hand recognized several old-fashioned ticks in the letters that pointed to an old, to an older writer. The envelope was addressed to M slash M Braddis. The salutations included the day's weather, warm and humid, sunny and cool for a summer day. And the sentences had double spaces between them. The letters had a certain literary panache, which suggests suggested a voracious reader and a surprising lack of profanity, given the level of anger, which Lean Hand thought meant a less macho writer. Maybe, he wondered, the Watcher had seen The Watcher starring Keanu Reeves as a serial killer who stalks the detective trying to catch him. Hmm. Lean Hand didn't think The Watcher was likely to act on the threats, but the letters had enough typos and errors to imply a certain erraticism. The first letter was dated Tuesday, June 4th, but the day, but that day was a Wednesday. There was also a seething anger directed at the wealthy in particular. The Watcher was upset by new money moving to town. Are you one of those Hoboken transplants who are ruining Westfield? And by the Broaddus' relatively modest renovations, the house is crying from all of the pain it is going through. You have changed it and made it so fancy. You are stealing its history. It cries for the past and what used to be in the time when I roamed its halls. The 1960s were a good time for 657 Boulevard when I ran from room to room room imagining the life imagining the life with the rich occupants there the house was full of life and young blood then it got old and so did my father but he kept watching it until the day he died and now i watch and wait for the day when the young blood will be mine again lean hen recommended looking into former housekeepers or their descendants perhaps the watcher was jealous that the broadest had bought a home that the writer couldn't afford but the focus remained on the Langfords. In cooperation with Westfield Police, the Broadduses sent a letter to the Langfords announcing plans to tear down the house, hoping to prompt a response. Nothing happened. Detective Lugo brought Michael Langford in for a second interview, but got nowhere. And his sister, Abby, accused the police of harassing her family. Eventually, the Broadduses hired Lee Levitt, a lawyer who met with several members of the Langford family, as well as their attorney to show them the letters, along with photos explaining how their home was one of the few vantage points to which the easel could be seen. The meeting grew, grew tense, Levitt told me, and the Langfords insisted Michael was innocent. One night, Derek had a dream in which he confronted Peggy, the eldest Langford, and demanded she build an eight-foot fence between the properties. Maria was having other kinds of dreams. One night, she woke up to an especially vivid one about a man who lived nearby. He was wearing these boots and carrying a pitchfork and calling to the kids, and I couldn't get to them in time, Maria said. She thought almost anyone could be the watcher which made daily life feel like navigating a labyrinth of threats. She probed the faces of shoppers at Trader Joe's to see if they looked strangely at her kids and spent hours Googling anyone who seemed suspicious. There were reasons to consider other suspects. For one thing, the police spoke to Michael before the second letter was sent, which would make sending two more especially reckless. The Broadduses say that Lugo told them they wouldn't receive any more letters after he spoke to Michael. Then there was the rest of the neighborhood to consider. The private investigator found two child sex offenders within a few blocks. Bill Woodward, the Broadduses house painter, had also noticed something strange. The couple behind 657 Boulevard kept a pair of lawn chairs strangely close to the Broadduses property. One day I was looking out the window and I saw this older guy sitting in one of the chairs, Woodward told me. He wasn't facing his house. He was facing the Broadduses. But by the end of 2014, the investigation had stalled, the watcher had left no digital trail, no fingerprints, and no way to place someone at the scene of a crime that could have been hatched from pretty much any mailbox in northern New Jersey. The letters could be read closely for possible clues or dismissed as nonsensical ramblings of a sociopath. It was like trying to find a needle in a haystack, said Scott Krauss, who helped investigate the case for the Union County Prosecutor's Office. In December, the Westfield Police told the Broadduses they had run out of options. Derek showed the letters to his priest, who agreed to bless the home. There's a picture of it. The renovations to 657 Boulevard, including a new alarm system, were finished within a few months, but the idea of moving in filled the Broadduses with overwhelming anxiety. Would they let their kids play outside or have friends over? Would they get a new letter every week? Derek priced out trained German shepherds and posted a job on the website for military veterans. All you have to do is work out in the backyard every day, but the Broadduses hadn't bought 657 to fill bunkered in a fortress. At the end of the day, it came down to, what are you willing to risk? Maria told me. 
we weren't going to put our kids in harm's way. Derek had been responding to occasional alarms at the house, sometimes in the middle of the night, bringing a knife with him just in case. They were so joyous about their new home, and then within days, they were petrified. Bill Wordward, the painter, said, I'm a stranger, and Maria was crying and shaking in my arms. It didn't help that the watcher seemed to be getting more and more unhinged. Here's another letter. 657 Boulevard is turning on me. It is coming after me. I don't understand why. What spell did you cast on it? It used to be my friend, and now it is my enemy. I am in charge of 657 Boulevard. It is not in charge of me. I will fend off its bad things and wait for it to become good again. It will not punish me. I will rise again. I will be patient and wait for this to pass and for you to bring the young blood back to me. 657 Boulevard needs young blood. It needs you. Come back. Let the young blood play again like I once did. Let the young blood sleep in 657 Boulevard. Stop changing it and let it alone. The Protestants had sold their old home, so they moved in with Maria's parents while continuing to pay the mortgage and property taxes on 657 Boulevard. I had to do things like shovel the driveway, Derek said. Just picture that little indignity. I'd go at five in the morning, then come back and do it again at my in-laws. They told only a handful of friends about the letters, which left others to ask why they weren't moving in. Legal issues, they said and wonder if they were getting a divorce. They fought constantly and started taking medications to fall asleep. I was a depressed wreck, Derek said. Maria decided to see a therapist after a routine doctor's visit that began with the question, how are you? Caused her to burst into tears. The therapist said she was suffering post-traumatic stress that wouldn't go away until they got rid of the house. Six months after the letters arrived, the Broadduses decided to sell 657 Boulevard. They initially listed it for more than they paid to reflect the renovations they'd done. But few worlds are more gossipy than suburban New Jersey real estate, and rumors had already begun to swirl about why the house sat empty. One broker emailed to say her client loved it, but that there are so many unsubstantiated rumors flying around, ranging from sexual predator to stalker that they needed to know more. The Broadduses sent a partial disclosure mentioning the letters to interested buyers and told Coldwell Banker, their realtor, that they intended to show the full letters to anyone whose offer was accepted. Several preliminary bids came in well below the asking price, but the Broadduses weren't ready to take such a financial hit and only wanted to share the letters with likely buyers. No one got that far, even after they lowered the price. A A Coldwell agent who hadn't read the letters, told them in an email that they were being unnecessarily forthcoming. My friend got horrible threatening letters about her dog barking, and she didn't think to disclose. But the Broadduses insisted, I don't know how you live through what we did and think you could go do it to somebody else, Derek said. Which is cool, because the state of New Jersey doesn't have a clause that you have to disclose what happened in your house, like Utah does. Mm -hmm. Like if there's a murder or a suicide, you have to disclose it. You don't have to do that. Everything's legal in New Jersey. That's a line from Hamilton. I wonder how many. I wonder how many states actually have that clause. You know, huh? Derek and Maria thought about what they would have done had the previous owners told them about the letter from the watcher. The Woodses, both retired scientists, told the Broadduses that they remembered the letter they received as more strange than threatening, thanking them for taking care of the house. They say that they had never had any issues. We certainly never felt watched. Andrea told them they rarely even locked the doors, but the Broadduses felt the name alone was ominous enough to merit mentioning to a new family moving in. And on June 2nd, 2015, a year after buying 657 Boulevard, they filed a legal complaint against the Woodses, arguing that the Woodses should have disclosed the letter just as they had the fact that water sometimes got in the basement. The Broadduses say they hope to reach a quiet settlement. Their kids still didn't know about the watcher, and their lawyer assured them that, at most, a small legal newswire might pick up the story. We do some creepy stories, Tamron Hall said on the Today Show with the, a few weeks later. This might be top 10 creepy. A local reporter had found the complaint, which included snippets of the watcher's menacing threats. And after a belated attempt by the Broadduses to seal it, the story went viral. News trucks camped out at 657 Boulevard and one local reporter set up a lawn chair to conduct his own watch. The Broadduses got more than 300 media requests, but with advice from a crisis management consultant referred by one of Derek's colleagues, they decided not to speak publicly to spare their kids even more attention. 
They vacated Westfield and went to a friend's beach house. They didn't find much peace. Maria's grandfather had a heart attack and the friend they were staying with had a grand mal seizure. Eventually, Derek and Maria sat down with their children to explain the real reason they hadn't moved into their home. The kids had plenty of questions. Who is the watcher? Where does this person live? Why is this person angry with us? To which Derek and Maria had few answers. Can you imagine having that conversation with a five-year-old? Derek told me, your town hasn't, isn't as safe as you think it is, and there's a boogeyman obsessed with you. Mm-hmm. I know. From a safer distance, the watcher was a real-life mystery to solve. A commenter on NJ.com suggested ground-penetrating radar to find whatever the watcher claimed was in its walls. The home inspector had already looked and told Derek the only issue was the aging home's lack of insulation. A group of Reddit users obsessed over Google Maps Street View, which showed a car parked in front of 657 that one user thought had a man holding a camera in the driver's seat. Others, more rationally, saw a pixelated glare. The range of proposed suspects included a jilted mistress, jilted, (laughs) a spurned realtor, a local high schooler's creative writing project, guerrilla marketing for a horror movie, and mall goths having fun. Some people just thought the Broadduses were wimps for not moving in. I would never let this sicko stop me from moving into a house. Never back down from a terrorist, which irked the Broadduses. None of them have read the letters or had their children threatened by someone they didn't know, Derek said. To decide whether this person's only nuts enough to write these letters and not do something, what if something did happen? So eventually they go through a new detective guy or he like re-looks at the case and his last name is Chambliss. And he says, Chambliss knew his colleagues had looked closely at Michael Langford, who's the neighbor. According to his brother, Sandy Langford, Michael had been diagnosed with schizophrenia as a young man. He sometimes spooked newcomers to the neighborhood when he did strange things like walk through their backyard or peek into the windows of homes that were being renovated. But those who know him, who knew him, told him, sorry, but those who knew him told me that the odd things he did were mostly just unusual neighborly kindnesses. Okay. Boo Radley. I mean, that's what we normally do. Like if you are walking through, like whenever we were young, we were younger. We used to love that. We used to walk through homes that were being built. Remember with Kaylee Garcia again? Shout out. And she fell yeah. through the hole and had to call the ambulance. Oh. <laughs> she got hurt so bad. So let's see. He goes out and gets the newspapers for me every morning, said John Schmidt, not only him, who lives next door. People who had known Michael for decades told me they didn't think he was capable of writing the letters. As Chambliss looked into the case, he discovered something surprising. Investigators had eventually conducted a DNA analysis on one of the envelopes and determined that the DNA belonged to a woman. Chambliss decided to look more closely at Abby Langford, Michael's sister, who worked as the real estate agent. Was she upset about missing a commission right next door? She also worked at the local Lord and Taylor and Chambliss coordinated with a security guard there to nab her plastic water bottle during a shift. But Chambliss says the DNA sample is not a match. Not long after the prosecutor's office gave Derek and Maria some unexpected news. They wouldn't say why or how, but they had ruled out the Langfords as suspects. The Broadduses were stunned. They had recently told the prosecutors that they planned to file civil charges against the Langfords and wondered if the prosecutors were lying to prevent the story from blowing up again. My family moved to the boulevard in 1961 and we never caused a problem for anybody, Sandy Langford told me. This guy gets all these letters and all of a sudden people are pointing fingers. Left without a suspect, the Broadduses reopened their personal investigation They were still coy about sharing too much with their neighbors who remained in the pool of suspects, but spent an afternoon walking the block with a picture of the watcher's handwritten envelope. They hoped someone might recognize them. The writing might recognize the writing from a Christmas card, but the only notable encounter came when an older man who lived behind 657 said his son joked that the watcher sounded a little bit like him. A neighbor across the street was the CEO of Kroll, the security form, Kroll. And the Broadduses hired the company to look for handwriting matches, but they found nothing. They also hired Robert Leonard, a renowned forensic linguist and former member of the band Shanana, who didn't find any noteworthy overlap when he scored local online forums for similarities similarities to the Watcher's writing. Uh, Although he did think the author might watch Game of Thrones, Jon Snow was one of the watchers on the wall. At one point, Derek persuaded a friend in tech to connect him to a hacker willing to try breaking into the Wi-Fi networks into the neighborhood to look for incriminating documents. But doing so turned out to be both illegal and more difficult than the movies made it seem, so they didn't go through with it. So some people are trying to think of reasons how this has happened or why the Broadduses would even make this up themselves. 
Some locals found it noteworthy that over the course of a decade, the Broadduses had upgraded from a $315,000 house to a $770,000 house to a $1.3 million house, one and or one, and refinanced their mortgages. A few weeks after the letters became public, the Westfield Leader published an article in which anonymous neighbors were quoted asking why the Broadduses kept renovating a home they weren't moving into or questioning whether they had really done that much renovating at all. The leader even cast doubt on Maria's commitment to her family's safety, citing as evidence the fact that she had a public Facebook page with a photo of her kids. The paper did not the paper did note that the police had tested Maria's DNA and it didn't match. So they got tested too, but none of the theories made much logical sense. The Broaddus had, had the Broadduses had answers to every question. How does someone go from a three hundred thousand to a one point three in ten years? Derek told me it's America. But they weren't speaking publicly and the rumors persisted. In the spring of 2016, they put 657 back on the market, hoping it might garner more interest given how many people had reacted to the letters. This is two years after they bought it, saying that they would have ignored them and just moved in. The Broadduses had a well-attended open house, after which Derek and Maria spent hours researching every person who signed in and comparing their handwriting to the watchers. But each time a potential buyer expressed interest and met with the Broadduses' lawyer to read the letters, they backed out. Some cocky guy from Staten Island said, F it. I'm going to get a house at a discount, Derek recalled. He reads the letters and we never hear from him again. They also get a renter and then the renter gets a clause saying if he gets a letter, he can back out because it was a year lease. And he got a letter within two weeks and he was like, yeah, because he was like, what's the big idea? It's just, you know, whatever. And he left. But it was just one guy. Mm -hmm. So there was no young blood in the home. Right. So was the watcher super interested or no? I think he was like, not. He was like, what? He got upset. He sent another letter and he got upset. He like really mad. Mm -hmm. And he got mad that they went to the press as well. Okay. So after. After the renter, so this is not long after the planning board's decision, the Broaddus has got some good news. A family with grown children and two big dogs had agreed to rent 657 Boulevard. The renter told the Star Ledger he wasn't worried about the watcher, though he had a clause in the lease. Oh, this is the renter. Let, let him out in case of another letter. Two weeks later, Derek went to 657 to deal with squirrels that had taken up residence in the roof. The renter handed him an envelope that had just arrived. And it said violent winds and bitter cold to the vile and spiteful Derek and his winch of wife, Maria. So the washer was mad about the renter. This letter, two and a half years after the washer appeared, came out of nowhere. It was dated February 13th, the day the Broadduses gave dispositions in their lawsuits against the Woodses. You wonder who the watcher is? Turn around, idiots, the letter read. Maybe you even spoke to me, one of the so-called neighbors who had no idea who the watcher could be. Or maybe you do know and are too scared to tell anyone good move. The letter was less stylish and more wrathful than the others, and it seemed that the writer had been closely following the story. They had seen media coverage. I walked by the news trucks when they took over my neighborhood and mocked me. Derek's surreptitious investig investigatory efforts. I watched as you watch from the dark house in an attempt to find me. Telescopes and binoculars are wonderful inventions. And the attempt to tear down the house, 657 Boulevard survived your attempt to assault and strong, stood strong with its army of supporters barricading its gates, the letter read. My soldiers of the boulevard followed my orders to a T. They carried out their mission and saved the soul of 657 Boulevard with my orders. All hailed the watcher. So the renter freaks out and leaves. So after all of that, what eventually ends up happening, can you guys hear me? Mm -hmm. What ends up happening is they have to list the house for a fifth time and they sell it for $959,000. So here are the stats. They bought it for $1.3 million. They put $100,000 worth of renovations into it. So $1.4 million. They sold it for $959,000. The family that moved into it um, has not reached out to the public. They're very private. They haven't said anything. If so, if they did get a letter, they haven't said anything. And that is the story of the watcher. So the last family just called it good, said, this is our home. And we're not going to do it. I guess they just didn't let it bother them. But do you think the husband, Derek, do you, or the wife, do you think that one of them wrote the letters? Well, they were tested. DNA samples. And that's everything. right. That's right. Came back negative. Mm. Creepy story, huh? Mm -hmm. Very weird. I've been thinking about it a lot. And it's not that I live in a creepy neighborhood or anything, but I just, we're going to put pictures of the house up on 
excuse me, up on our Instagram, which again is spooky sisters. Yes. With the ghost emoji. Um, so anyway, that's the story. Bonnie, what would you do if you got one of those letters? Um, I would read it and then read it again and then read it again and then burn it. Would you go to the police? I would wait if I got any more. Would you go to the police, Mel? No. I'm not one to like jump no. to things. No, yeah. I would. Just like, Why wait? Why wait? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I guess. I don't know. If you're. If you have that gut feeling, then yeah, go do something about it. But if you're just kind of like, oh, we'll just. I'd wait for a second. I don't know. Oh man, that story stuck with me. Uh, so let us know how you guys feel about it. Go on our Insta at Spooky Sisters, or you can find us on Facebook. You can email us at thespookysisters at gmail.com. That's the Spooky Sisters. Also send us in your ghost stories if you want them to be read on air. It doesn't have to be about a specific city. Just tell us any story that you have um, that's been creepy or like a, you know, just anything noteworthy if you've seen an apparition uh thanks for listening to our stories tonight to new jersey and if you like us go ahead and give us a subscribe you can find us on spotify apple tunes stitcher anywhere that you can find any of your podcasts we'd appreciate it you can rate and review us and that way we can grow our spooky family thank you guys so much I'm Melody. I'm Bonnie. And I'm Maddie. And we are the Spooky Spooky Sisters. Sisters.